0: Welcome to Passages Voice. This episode was originally recorded as part of the Digital Speaker Series, where we meet famous leaders in the church, business, and politics to discuss faith and leadership. To learn more, visit the Passages Leaders Network or follow us on social media at Passages Israel.
1: Enjoy. Welcome, everyone. My name is Jeff Brown. I'm the director of partner relationships at Passages. It's my privilege today to have Dayton Moore as our speaker in our speaker series. Dayton, welcome, and thank you for being with us.
0: Great to be with you, Jeff. Honored to be a part of it.
1: Great. I want to share a few things about uh, our speaker before we get started. Dayton Moore is the senior vice president of baseball operations and the general manager of the Kansas City Royals. And for those of you who live in the Midwest, you know that the Royals in 2015 Uh, won their first uh, World Series, beating the New York Mets in five games, and that was their first World Series in 30 years. Um, Because of his work with the Royals, he has received several accolades over the last five years, including being named uh, to the Kansas Baseball Hall of Fame and Kansan of the Year in 2014. He's also been tabbed Executive of the Year by Major League Baseball and several other organizations. Under the direction of Moore, the Kansas City uh, Major League Baseball Urban Youth Academy officially opened in 2017. In 2013, Moore started the CU and the Major Leagues Foundation, and this has benefited organizations including the Jewish Community Center, Higher Impact, National Center for Fathering, and the City Union Mission. Uh, following the 2014 season, Moore wrote a book called More Than a Season, with all the author proceeds going to the CU and the Major Leagues uh, program. Currently, Dayton is helping to prepare the team um, for the delayed 2020 season of 60 games. So he is a very busy man, but we are so happy to have you here today uh, and excited. One reminder before we get started, don't forget that you can submit questions in the Q&A section. Um, Also, if your passage is alumni, you can join the live chat in the PLN network as well. Dayton, I'd love to jump into some questions for you, um, starting a bit uh, with your story. Um, when you started managing the Royals, uh, they were an organization and a team that was struggling um, before they won in two thousand and fifteen the World Series. Uh, it had been thirty years since their last world championship. So how did you put the organization in a position to succeed again
0: well that's that's a great question and uh, l- let me just say this that um, as I said before it 's an honor to be on with with each and every one of you and We all have a great heart for the next generation um, of leaders, and you all are leaders, and we wanna do everything that we can to to pour into you, to share uh, our experiences, to talk about our leadership journey, because as leaders, someday you are going to be decision makers at various levels, and some at the highest level. And so we recognize that. And so I wanna be very transparent with everything that we've experienced. Truthfully, the only thing that I've, I can really offer you is my mistakes and, and share those with you and, um, and talk about, again, our journey. But, you know, the, the only thing I ever wanted to do, truthfully, was, was to be in baseball. I can't recall a day in my life since I was four years old where I haven't dreamt or thought about this game. Uh, truthfully, most days, it's been my God, and I'm thankful that uh, God has rescued me from me and uh, recognized my heart and, um, and, and allowed to me to continue to journey. And I'm, and I'm thankful that uh, I have been shown uh, the errors of, of my ways in leadership because a lot of days I've made baseball my God and, and uh, uh, I ask for forgiveness with that. But I've pursued this game um, very passionately I wanted to play as long as I could. Uh, when my college career uh, was completed, I signed with an independent pro team and I was released from there and I began coaching. I began coaching at uh, George Mason University and, and I did that uh, for five years. And then I was offered a position to scout with the Atlanta Braves. And I uh, originally turned them down because I wanted to, I wanted to, to coach. I wanted to be a head coach in college. And my father told me from the time I was a little boy, he said, do everything that you're doing, like it's the last job you'll ever have. I mean, so everything you do, focus and concentrate like it's the last job you'll ever have. And then chances are it may not. Um, But I never wanted anybody else's position. I was focused on what I was doing. And then through prayer and counsel, I decided to go work for the Atlanta Braves. I was going to do it for four years and get back into Um, college coaching and then one thing led to another Uh, we began uh, I I got married we had a a, a small child uh, a little girl named Ashley and from that point in time we started making decisions simply what was best for our family uh, not what was necessarily what I thought was best for my career and there was opportunities that presented themselves that was clearly in the best interest of my career but I looked at it as, it's not best for our family, so I'm not going to pursue that. And, and by doing that, there was more opportunities that presented themselves. So to make a long story short, after scouting for a couple of years, the Braves asked me to come down to Atlanta uh, to work out of the office. At the time, it was Fulton County Stadium, which is now, it was, then it became Turner Field, and now it's SunTrust Field. And so it's, it's, it's been uh, three different stadiums there now in the city. Um, but I became the assistant director of scouting. And again, I just went to work every single day, letting the needs of the organization guide my path, not wanting anybody else's job. And uh, we began um, a journey where uh, John Scherholtz, who was the general manager at the time, began to Uh, put us in positions of leadership at various levels. And um, uh, then we had a couple opportunities to go to Boston or in Arizona as the general manager. Uh, Wasn't interested in being a general manager. I loved what I was doing. And then the Royals called. Uh, And um, I was born in Wichita, Kansas. The Royals were my boyhood team. My mother and my grandmother grew up loving the Kansas City Royals. And so when the Royals called, I decided to interview and um, I I met with David Glass and Dan Glass, uh, and uh, they offered us the position. We came, uh, we we decided to to take this position, truthfully, uh, against the counsel of many. Many people in the industry said, don't go to Kansas City. You can't win there. There's no prospects in the system. The economics of the game have changed from what it was at one point. And of course, in the 70s and the 80s, the Royals were the model organization in baseball. And so um, uh, originally, uh, I told David Glass that I probably wasn't interested in the position. I appreciated it. And uh, I told my wife that we were gonna stay in Atlanta. I told John Sherholtz we were gonna stay in Atlanta, but I didn't have a piece about it at all. Uh, an initial sense of relief probably because I'd made a decision in my own mind but I didn't have a piece about it at all uh, and I, I felt like I was making that decision based out of fear because so many people were telling me that we couldn't succeed and um, so lo and behold we decided to, to go to Kansas City uh, after working here for about two months diving into all aspects of the organization uh, evaluating uh, every department what our timeline perhaps would be before we started playing winning baseball. I was 100% sure with all of my heart that we had made the wrong decision. I felt there was no way we would win in Kansas City. So what were we going to do? Uh, Well, the only thing I knew to do is how do we create one of the best working environments in all of sports where people want to work, people are valued, players want to play, uh, we simply just focused on the environment. We weren't, we weren't paralyzed by the outcome, which is winning a World Series, winning a championship. And, and, and so not being consumed with that outcome, I felt we would be more freed up to focus on the daily process. Let's just try to get better and better each and every day. And then maybe someday we'll wake up and we'll be pretty good. And so that's what we focused on. And and we also understood from the very beginning that leaders shape culture. Leaders are the ones that shape culture. And so there was three things that we wanted in all of the people that we were going to need to hire. And trust me, we were a bare bones operation. We had to hire a lot of people in leadership positions. And so there was three things. We wanted leaders that could apply moral principles in their life. Why is that important? Well, it's so important because nobody I've ever worked with or associated with doesn't, is able to separate their personal life and the professional life. Their personal life will always leak into their professional life. And we wanted individuals that understood the importance of, of being a great husband and a great father, a great mother, a great wife first. That's the most important responsibility and that they were gonna be focused on their team at home and that would free them up to give everything that they've, they've got with the Kansas City Royals. In fact, I would often make this statement, figure out how much time it takes to be a great husband and a great father, a great wife and a great mother, figure out how much time it takes to do those jobs really well and then give the Royals all you got after that. Give us everything you have from there. And and so moral principles in your life, very important. The second thing we wanted was leaders that understood the importance of diversity. Yes, diverse cultures, diverse economic backgrounds, diverse educational backgrounds, diverse experiences, diverse thought, different cultures coming together, all levels of experience and leadership. Old dogs can learn new tricks. There's no need to cast them aside. Uh, And then the people with more experience that have been in baseball for 25 or 30 years, embrace the energy and the enthusiasm and the fire of the young people who have these fresh ideas. And don't roll your eyes and say, well, I've been there, done that. That's not gonna work. Listen, understand one another. Dr. King said, if you wanna be understood, you must understand somebody else. And so diversity was gonna be really, really important. And then the third thing is, we wanted leaders that were gonna compete. And you can say, well, that's pretty obvious. Most coaches, most leaders of industry, uh, the most successful people may tell you that the ability and the desire to compete and wanna compete against the best of the best, iron sharpens iron, is perhaps the greatest trait a successful person can have. But I would say that, and we would say that you want people that are going to compete for one another. Like you have to generally want to celebrate the accomplishments of your colleagues and your teammates and people that you're working with, the people in your committee, the people in your family, the people in your community, the people in your company. You've got to genuinely learn to celebrate in their accomplishments. You know, the great Um, Green Bay, the Green Bay Packer football coach, Vince Lombardi, he said, winning isn't everything. He said, it's the only thing. He said, winning isn't everything. It is the only thing. But we believe that winning for each other isn't everything. It is the only thing. You have to have leaders that are going to be selfless, put everybody else's needs, wants, and desires first, their own needs, wants, desires second. Selflessness Leadership begins and ends with putting others first. If you want the privilege to lead and lead for a long time, be vulnerable, put others first, understand that your job as a leader and a decision maker is to do everything you can to create opportunities uh, for people to succeed and reach their ceiling. And so Jeff, that's how we went about creating the culture. The leader shaped the culture Hire the people that reflect the values that you think are really important, the values that you want in your company, in your team, in your organization. And we put this together, not knowing how long we'd have, because in professional sports, it's a bottom line business. You've got to win. And they may think you're the greatest people on this earth and you have a great plan, but if you don't win, eventually they're going to have to turn the page. And so we just said, for as long as we're doing this, this is how we're going to do it. We want to create an organization. We would want our own families and loved ones to be a part of. We want to reflect those values, and we want to model those values and characteristics that we want our children and our grandchildren to have and to be a part of it. So it's always about the next generation. How can we make this place better than we found it? And, and so those are some of the principles that we set forth. Now, leaders can shape the culture, but we can't grow it. We can't grow the environment. Ultimately, that's gonna be up to the employees, that's gonna be up to your players um, to grow that environment. So I can hire the head athletic trainer, but I can't create the environment in the training room. I can hire the hitting coaches, but I can't create the environment in the batting cage. I can hire the managers, but I can't create that environment with his team in the minor leagues or at the major league level. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. So So following up on that, when you go to hire someone and you're looking for these three, you know, characteristics, um, you know, and leadership is something I think everyone has the potential to do, um, but there are certain people that just have the ability to win people over grab a hold of the mission, get everybody on board. Um, Can you explain a little bit of, as a a boss or hiring someone, how you notice those traits and that ability in someone?
0: Great question. Um, Again, I can only talk about my journey and my experiences, okay? So I had a 2.2 GPA in high school. Education was never stressed in my family. Um, great family, hardworking family, Um, a level of dysfunction like anybody else wasn't perfect. Um, Again, education was never stressed in my family. And um, so um, I always felt a little bit inadequate, truthfully. Okay. I I had some insecurities as a, a young person in this game and as somebody who aspired to um, do their very best in this game and to one day lead. I wanted that privilege, okay? And so uh, I, I always did my best to surround myself with, uh, or, or try to interact and, and with uh, people that were, I, I, I viewed as superior, people that kind of knew what I didn't know and uh, I, I tried to be around and, and create mentors in my life, if you will. And, you know, I grew up in the baseball world. You probably wouldn't know the name, maybe John Sherholtz or, or Bobby Cox or Bill LaJoy or Paul Snyder or Donnie Williams or Jose Martinez or just some people that helped shape me in my life. And I look back and, and, and I, I often ask, how did, why did these people come into my life? I mean, how did I uh, become so blessed with this? And uh, I, I think back the fact that I, I was very humble and I didn't talk a lot. Uh, I listened a lot. Um, and then I would ask a question from time to time, but I wasn't the loudest voice in the room. There would be a many time in meetings when I was a young exec, executive in Atlanta as assistant director of scouting um, where I wouldn't say anything in the meetings. Uh, I would always get there early and maybe I'd get an opportunity to ask a question or two of, of some of these individuals that accomplished so much in the game. And so I've always kind of, I guess, been attracted to people that have a a sense of humility to them, um, a a desire, a work ethic that I think is, is really, really important. Uh, those that truly just want to add value to the team because it's so important that, look, everybody's going to experience their share of failure and their share of successes. And when people do fail, you want to be the individual that's going to encourage them, okay? Encour- encouragement simply means to give somebody courage. We know that, okay? You want to be the one that's going to encourage people. In, in our society, Today, it seems like it's more, more apparent, but I think it's always probably been this way. We like to kick people when they're down a little bit and um, instead of lift them up <clears throat> and to write them a note, encourage them, tell them that I'm with you. And even if they wanna explain themselves, I've had several instances where people have, have, have clearly messed up, um, made mistakes, been suspended, and I'll reach out to them and say, hey, look, I just want you to know I'm not judging you. If you ever want to talk, I'm here. Uh, I'm sorry you're going through this. And oftentimes they'll want to explain to me every detail and what happened. And I will simply say, hey, look, this, that's not the purpose of the call. I didn't call to get your side of the story. Again, I just called to say, look, I know you're going through a tough time. I'm here for you. Uh, I'll pray for you. Uh, I care about what your experience. I'm not judging you, okay? And so, as a leader, I think if you want to be one that gets the privilege to lead for a long time through ups and downs, do everything you can to create a non-judgmental atmosphere, especially from those that are the decision makers, okay? And so, oftentimes um, you know, I want people to know that I'm not judging you. I'm not judging your behavior. Um, I just want to understand. Uh, I want to be able to relate and so forth. So I think that's, that's one of the things that the character traits that I think is really, really important in identifying leaders. Um, leaders got to be the, the best cheerleaders on the team. You gotta cheer for people. You gotta want people to do well. You have to encourage them. You've gotta be positive. Words written or spoken should always be in a positive, encouraging way. Tell the truth. Tell the truth, don't sugarcoat it, but you can do it in a very positive and loving way. You should never confront another person to ease your own emotion, to let it out, to get it off your chest, now, there's no DL, you can't put someone on the disabled list or the injured list for hurt feelings. I mean, that's that doesn't work in life, okay? And so, you, you want to confront in a loving and encouraging way. The reason you and I need to have this conversation is because I care about you and I, I want to help you perhaps uncover a blind spot in your life, okay? And so... You know, the one, of, one, of, one of the things, Jeff, I think is important to say is every single day people are looking at you and I and everybody on this call in one of two ways. They're looking at us with a critical eye or a critical spirit. Unfortunately, we've got too much critical spirit going on. Thank God for those people that look at us with a critical eye. They help mold us. They help shape us. They uncover blind spots. They help us become the moms and the dads and the leaders that we ultimately desire to be, okay? And those people that look at us with a critical eye, we want them in our lives. We want them to speak truth in our lives. We want them to coach us through every aspect of what we do. Um, But those that look at us with a critical spirit, we've got to learn to give that away. Thankfully, our faith allows us to do that. It's not easy. It hurts. Uh, I don't like when talk radio is unfair. I don't like when the print media um, says something negative um, and criticizes me, who I feel maybe at times unjust or what have you. But I have learned to give all that away in forgiveness. Again, You don't want to stay wounded. You don't want bitterness to ever take hold. The only way that you can truly get through that is to try to practice daily forgiveness.
1: That's great. And basically what you're explaining to me, and my background is in theology and ministry, is you're just building a community and the way that Jesus did. And it's it's always interesting. I think we oftentimes think about being a Christian as these are the rules of things that we don't do. You know, this is how we stand out. But really what Jesus taught was it's the things we're doing, uh, building community, seeking for that diversity, you know, wrestling through the hard questions, being there for people. Um, you know, it, it's amazing. Jesus said, if you have something to offer in the Sermon on the Mount and you realize that someone has something against you, go be reconciled. And mm-hmm. I know for me and many Christians, we kind of grew up thinking, I've got to get this off my chest or I'm not going to be right with God. That's not what he said. You know, like what you were saying, that's, you can't put somebody on the DL because you have hurt feelings. Um, so really good stuff. I, I really appreciate that. Um, kind of shifting gears a little bit. So once the success came, um, how, how do you retain that, that community and the humility? And how does that process look?
0: Well, you know, when we were building our baseball team, and again, it's, we're, we're one of the smallest markets in all of sports. Um, Since the modern era of baseball, 1994, there's never been a small market team win a World Series, let alone go to -to back-to-back World Series, okay? And so we knew this was going to be a tremendous challenge with the economics of the game, okay? We get one move to some markets, multiple moves, okay? We can't cover up our mistakes. We have to live with them. And so we're okay with that. We like that challenge, okay? But during that process, during that building, Jeff, we talked a lot about, hey, look, there's a process to this. We gotta trust the process. Well, the media got a hold of that. Our fans got a hold of that. And we began to get mocked. Oh yeah, just trust the process. The process is really working. They would create cartoons mocking us about this process. Well, and then 2014 when we went to the World Series, Majestic, uh, which is a, a clothing manufacturer, they wanted to create these t-shirts that said, how's the process working now? And they wanted to sell these t-shirts uh, and they came to us and they said, are you okay for, with us to do this? And immediately I said, absolutely not, absolutely not are we going to do that? Our fans, our sponsors, um, they have every right along the way to voice their opinion, um, and we're not going to throw it back in their face. Uh, I think humility is as uh, important as anything that we do. Um, I mean, pride, as we all know, is the strength of sin. Like Satan loves pride. I mean, he, he's gonna tell you, when, when you're going good and you achieve something, Satan's gonna tell you, man, you're so good. You did it all by yourself. You're so smart. You're so intelligent. You're so pretty. You're so unbelievable, amazing. You did it all by yourself. He's gonna trick you. And then when you fail and you're not doing very well, he's gonna say, I told you, you didn't come from the right family. You're not pretty you're not educated enough. People don't like you. You're not good enough. He's, the, he's a deceiver. He's a deceiver. And so we know that pride is the strength of sin and humility is the strength of heaven. That's what we know. And so we, we've got to keep that in perspective when it comes to managing. If there's anything good in me at all, Jeff, it comes from God. So without being plugged into His truths and, 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 and prayer and the things that I put into my mind and, and the things that I put into my body, if they're not wholesome, if they're not from Christ, then I get off the rails a little bit, okay? So everything that I've been able to do has nothing to do with me. If there's anything good in me, it comes from God. And so if that's the case, obviously we know where the bad things come from, right? And so um, so it, it's so important to practice humility and um, and share the glory. You know that's one of the the seven absolutes that we have in leadership and or- building organizational harmony with the Kansas City Royals is to share the glory. And nothing gives me more satisfaction when we win a baseball game and the player of the game is often interviewed as we all and they're the star of the game. And the media person says, you did this and you were great and what a great game you had. And when that person says, well, how about the pitching performance of Brad Keller? Brad Keller was awesome. Or, or, you know, my hitting coach has really been helping me a lot. Or how about the play our center fielder made? I mean, this was a team effort. I mean, those are the things that you want to be able to say uh, and, and feel and come across genuine. You have to share the glory, and uh, it, it shows that you're a very, it shows that you have humility.
1: Very good, and I, your, your faith comes out. I mean, obviously, it's ingrained in the way that you think, um, you know, the, the way that you run your family, also the way that uh, you run the organization. Uh, could you share with me a little bit how your faith brought you to do community service? and uh, reaching out to people and trying to, to help them in the situation they're in?
0: Well, the clubhouse, where all the players, we, you know, the players, our team, we call it the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. It's a living, breathing organism, okay? We have players from all different cultures, all different backgrounds. Some are, are college educated, some are from high school. Some, some of our players uh, drop out of high school in the Dominican Republic or school seventh, eighth grade. Um, we obviously, they all have different stories, different fi- uh, family dynamics. And so there's all kinds of issues in the clubhouse. I mean, mm-hmm. people are dealing with things all the time. And as somebody who likes to be connected with players and share in their stories, Matthew West, songwriter, artist, mm-hmm. um, singer Matthew West says it this way, life is more fulfilling when you become a character in somebody else's story. Life is more fulfilling when you become a character in somebody else's story. And so when you develop relationship with your players and you realize that some of your players are dealing with maybe uh, racism, they feel it. Maybe they're dealing with um, uh, sickness in the family. They're dealing with some type of Poverty, they grew up in poverty. Uh, They're making money for the first time. And they've got maybe 20 or 30 family members that want a piece of that. And so naturally you get involved with some of these issues, okay? And it's simply a reflection of society. The clubhouse is simply a reflection of society. So if you really care about leadership and stewarding your players and your organization, you have to get involved with the things that are important to them. Their problems are your problems. Their problems are your problems. You have to take that on. And one of the things that hurts me as a leader is when somebody comes to me and says, hey, look, this has been going on for three or four weeks or three or four months. I just didn't want to bother you with this. I know you're really busy. but I need to tell you, and it hurts me because I ask myself, what is it about my leadership that created a wall with this individual and they couldn't come and tell me when it was important to them? And so you want to be able to take on some of their issues and some of their problems. Now they've gotta be accountable for things and you're not fighting all the battles for them, but you're in this together, okay? And so, we do know the Gospels tell us that we should stand firm and not tolerate racial injustice. It tells us that we have to come alongside of the poor and help the poor and spend time with the poor. And so it also tells us that we need to be sold out for uh, pro-life. It also tells us that we need to be sold out for sex between a man and a woman in marriage. Okay, and so the church today, and I'm not a theologian, Jeff, and, and, and correct me strictly if, if, if you feel that, that I'm saying something inappropriate, but living in the South at times and then living in the Midwest and other places, the, the, the church, some, some of the church, especially the African-American church, we talk a lot about racial injustice Talk a lot about the poor. Sometimes in the South, they don't talk as much about racial injustice, but they talk a lot about pro-life and 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 um, sex between a man and a woman in marriage, and some of the other. So we've got we've got to understand that that is some of the things that our players and our employees are constantly thinking about. And so, how do we confront these things in love, and to come alongside and and and, and, and be a force for change to use our platform in leadership uh, to affect change. Again, you're not judging. I have several friends um, through the years. I have family members that have struggled with a homosexual lifestyle. I have family members who have had abortions, not judging them, I'm gonna love on them. Uh, I have worked with players Uh, and have players on our team today that they and their families have experienced racial injustice their entire lives. Uh, I want to try to understand that. We have players that come from extreme poverty and neglect. I want to try to understand that. And so I think if you are involved in the clubhouse, if you are involved in the lives of your players and your people, how can you not understand and want to understand their stories and then try to do something about. Quick quick story, I'll tell you. Um, about three years ago, when all this border stuff was going on, right? Okay, borders closed, immigration. Well, as followers of Jesus, we're for the immigrant. I mean, we, we, we're for people who are in deprived and disadvantaged areas. We want to come alongside of them. But there's also a, a way to do that. We understand that we have to have a process. So the greater good is 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 taken into account and many of those people are not taken advantage of and they are brought into the country the right way. Well, I, I walked into a meeting and many of our people uh, were in this meeting. I was about five, 10 minutes late and they were talking about some of this that was going on, right? <clears throat> And so uh, I happened to be involved in a conversation uh, around our dinner table and our daughter knew that there was nine refugee centers in the Kansas City area at the time, okay? So I'm listening to the meeting. I let it go on for a little bit, the discussion. And then I said, hey, guys, you know what? You're absolutely right. We need to do something about this. It's more important than the meeting that we have, obviously have scheduled. This is important to you guys we need to be volunteering at one of the nine refugee centers. Well, they didn't know that there was one refugee center. And I said, better yet, let's let's break from this meeting. Let's figure out what we can donate, what the excess that we have, whether it be in finances or clothing or items that could probably help uh, a disadvantaged or a family that's struggling, that's homeless, that's trying to get on their feet. Let's figure out what we can do But those of you that have an extra room in your house, maybe it's time to bring somebody into your home and to share a meal with them. My point is that it's great to talk about a lot of these things, but before you talk about them publicly and make a statement publicly, know what you're going to do. Think about what you're going to do as a person, as a family, as a group, before you make this statement. It's good to talk about it in small groups, like what can we do? Let's brainstorm, let's come up with a plan. But when you, stick, when you put yourself out there and you go to bat for the homeless, know what you're going to do before you go to bat for the homeless. When you go to bat for racial injustice, know like are you, are you, are you going to an African American church? Are you getting an opportunity to listen to other people? and to understand their stories. I mean, so I think that's really, really important whenever you um, are vo- vocal about a cause. I will say this, social media, the internet, is probably one of the least effective ways to get your point across. When you're dealing with emotional situations, it's not necessarily good to spit it out on Twitter or, or to, to chime in in social media, unless you're doing it in a, in a forum that has proper context. I mean, there's better ways to do that. And I believe that it's to go to work. Just go to work, do it in your own community, do it in your own family, your own. And, and so you talk about racial injustice and a lot of things that are going on right now. I saw an interview with Bill Russell, the Hall of Fame basketball player. He was being interviewed by a white male. And he said, what can I do? How do I reach out to my my black brothers and sisters is is how he phrased it. And Bill Russell said it this way. He said, the thing that you can do for your family is this. Treat your wife and your children with kindness, unconditional kindness and love, so they know what kindness and love feels like. And so, so they know what it feels like and they know how important it is to their being. And so if they understand that, they're gonna go out into the world and be kind and loving towards other people. And so I think it's more about action than just making a statement.
1: Very good, very good. Um, I have one more question, and then we're gonna take some questions from the audience. Um, So this year, 2020, is going to go down for a lot of people as a year of uncertainty, definitely interesting times. Um, And so I would like for you to share a little bit of insight and how it is that you lead as a Christian leader during uncertain times when you really don't know what's next or what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, you know, one of the things that I'm still in process with, and, and truthfully, I feel like that I've only made progress in the last couple of years, okay? So whenever we're faced with challenges, and I can honestly tell you in leadership, there's very few days you put your head on the pillow at night and you say, everything went great. This day went to perfection, it went perfect, it went to script, it's quite the contrary. There's a lot of things that, that don't go to script throughout the day. Challenges are presented to us each and every day, things that we're, we're not expecting, And so the way we prepare for that is we want we want to try to be as emotionally emotionally stable as possible. We've got to put good things into our mind, good things into our body. We need to be able to get enough sleep. Uh, We need to spend time in prayer. We need to spend time in scripture. We have to have a a, a daily plan for that. Uh, We have to start giving away the problems before the day begins. And so we know that Jesus is handling all of our problems and you just want to be a vehicle for him, uh, to, to help managing through the situations. Again, I'm in process with it. And just in the last couple of years, I feel like I'm making some headway. And so when challenges occur, instead of reaching out right away to somebody else to complain about it, or what do we do, I'm learning to ask, Jesus about it first, to talk to God, rely on the Holy Spirit, okay? Have a conversation there first. And then try to get some calmness about it through prayer and then seek counsel. Write things down, questions I might have. But it's been a very challenging time, okay? So we've had just in the last um, eight months, We've had managerial change where we hired Mike Matheny, who's an outstanding leader uh, and and baseball person. Uh, We've had ownership change, uh, the passing of Mr. David Glass, who is our owner here in Kansas City, a wonderful man, and a a story that's worth studying, uh, how he built Walmart, one of the most successful businesses in the history of the world and how he did that and the type of person that he was and so we've had we've managed through ownership change uh, several investors and then we have COVID 19 and then we're dealing with racial tension and all the things uh, a work stoppage so to speak and negotiations between the major league baseball and the players association and so there's been a lot of challenging times and i've learned that the only way to fight through these things truly is on your knees uh, and give it away, uh, again, I, I'm still in process with that because my intense nature, I want to fight right away. I want to react uh, instead of learning to respond. The only way Dayton Moore's learned to respond is take it to God first in prayer, um, ask for wisdom, ask for guidance. You know, wisdom comes from God. Uh, it's its is a leader... You should be spending time in Proverbs all the time. Tim Keller and his wife came out with a book a few years ago, maybe four or five years ago, a daily devotion on Proverbs. It's really outstanding. I would advise anybody in leadership or anybody, truthfully, but especially in leadership to get that book and to to begin to study it. I've, I've shared it with all three of our children. I think it's so important.
1: That's great, and um, actually Nicholas uh, had a question about a book recommendations uh, podcast. So um, on leadership, Christian leadership, uh, do you have any others that you would recommend? You know, there's, right
0: now for whatever reason, um, and it's it's changed through uh, different periods of my life. Um, I I find a lot of um, comfort in Christian music, uh, I, I, I enjoy music. I enjoy the lyrics. Uh, I, I spend a lot of time, as I, as I mentioned Matthew West earlier. Uh, Carter Conlon at Times Square Church in New York. I like to listen to some of his sermons. Tim Keller is somebody that I think is, is really, really good. My, uh, our daughter Ashley actually put me on to him uh, about well, seven or eight years ago. Of course, I knew who Tim Keller was. I knew the name but never really studied him a whole lot. I think Max Licato is somebody that I connect with. Uh, his, his writings, I find them inspiring and uplifting and, and positive. And in leadership, um, positivity is so important uh, because it it... Most days, I find I, I really don't want to lead. Uh, I just kind of want to blend in, uh, go about my day, and um, it requires so much energy to stay positive and to be optimistic. And so, I've, I've got to constantly be be putting, um, you know, positive things in my mind. Max Lucato just came out with a book, "How Happiness Happens." Uh, that's the last book that that I've I've read here recently. Uh, I'm not a great reader. Uh, I I struggled with that my whole life. I do a lot of audio books, and um, but so but it's but it's so important to have those mentors in your life. Our our pastor Christian Newsom. I bring him down to spring training every year. He sets in our meetings. He listens to me talk to people on the phone. He he basically comes alongside of me and looks at me with a critical eye. Uh, Tim Cash, who has grown up in the baseball world, who's a pastor in Loganville at a church called The Cross. Uh, I, I, I listen to his sermons and his podcasts and he has a, 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 a special way of connecting with the baseball culture because he's, he's been in that culture his whole life. And so those are just some of the resources that I
1: use. Very good, that's helpful. Um, thank you for agreeing to go over with us. I really do appreciate that. We have one more question um, and then we can wrap things up. Uh, Katie asks what roadblocks have you faced in putting your leadership culture in place? If you could share a couple of those.
0: You know what I what I found is Katie. Katie is her name? Is uh-huh. it Katie? Yes. Um, Katie what I what I found um, oftentimes whenever you're praised for doing something really well, um, that is the signal that you're about to get attacked. Um, And so I've learned that lesson the hard way, Um, but know that that journey, that sticking your uh, uh, neck out on the line, so to speak, being, I would rather be persecuted for who I am than praised for something I'm not or who I'm not. Um, Know that there's going to be often times where, again, it goes back to that critical spirit piece, right? It's going to be very difficult, if not impossible, to please people all the time. And based on what they're experiencing in their lives at that current situation, they may give you a lot of pushback. They may not want, They may think it's a good idea, but they don't want you to have any credit if they they think that maybe that's why you're doing it. Um, You just have to continue to push forward. What I found the only thing that works in trying to build a consensus, and yes, there are times as a leader, you have to stand up, you have to make a presentation, you have to try to inspire people to follow your plan, but it's very difficult to build a, a consensus people are skeptical by nature. I wish that wasn't the case, but it is, and so the only way you're going to build some type of a consensus, you've got to think about how Jesus did it. He did it one-on-one. He did it in small groups. He didn't make a lot of presentations. Jeff talked about the Sermon on the Mount. That's one, of course, of some that is documented in Scripture, and that was Um, um, a a chance for for Jesus to convey a lot of truths uh, to the masses, but he did most of his work one-on-one and in small groups, and so what I have found, Katie, is that um, I've got to go one-on-one to connect with hearts, okay? So I mentioned in the beginning of this talk about how I didn't want to come to Kansas City, And and so why did I come to Kansas City? Well, when I met with, continued to talk to Mr. Glass one-on-one, I understood, I got to know his heart. He said things like, "Um, I'm very, I'm humiliated, Uh, I need help. Uh, I want you to come here and help us build a model organization. We're frustrated. The Kansas City fans in our community deserve better. He made a lot of value statements that I connected with, not when he made this big presentation out in the open, but when it began to have dialogue one-on-one, it began to change my heart and I began to connect with this guy and I began to pull for him and I wanted him to do well and I wanted to be a part of that. Without that one-on-one conversation, Uh, and and being able to connect with him, it would not have been able to happen. So you're going to experience roadblocks and challenges. And again, thank God for those people that are looking at you with a critical eye. You need them to help shape and mold you and perfect your plan in a way that motivates others to follow. You need that. You want that. You desire that. Oftentimes, before I'm going to make a presentation, in fact, every time, I'll bring in a few people, including our administrative assistant, and I will say, coach me on what I'm about to say. And I will begin to make the presentation or the speech, and I will ask for feedback. I want to try to perfect it in a way that's gonna communicate effectively. But you're gonna experience a lot of roadblocks and, um, and, and, right, and, and for a lot of it, it's good. And, and look at the challenges. Challenges are there to help us and shape us and mold us, as I mentioned. But really the only way I think you can build a true consensus is dialogue in small groups one-on-one. And to do that, it takes, it takes a lot of time. It takes energy. Uh, it takes a lot of love for what you're doing. And so one of the ways that I know that somebody loves baseball is they keep pursuing it because again you're going to fail most of the time but if you keep pursuing it it's showing you love the game in relationship and when you decide when you're going to get married it's it's not going to be perfect but you just you forgive and you move on and you keep pursuing that relationship One of the things that we should all be thankful for, we serve a God who gives us multiple chances. And when I make mistakes, which is on a daily basis, you ask for forgiveness, not only to God, but the people that you hurt and you keep pursuing God. I say something inappropriate as a husband, I ask for forgiveness, I'm sorry, you keep pursuing God. You make a mistake as a father or as a a mother You ask for forgiveness, you keep pursuing God. You mess up in the workplace, you ask for forgiveness, you keep pursuing God. Keep in mind, it's very difficult to articulate feelings and emotions. It often does not come out right. Look past that when you're having dialogue with people. Try to understand their heart, what they're trying to say. Not necessarily what they actually say. And we all know, talk is talk, but you gotta walk the walk. And leadership is caught, it's not taught, right? And so, but try to understand and connect with the heart. Give people grace with what, especially when you're doing something for the first time and people may criticize your plan, that's okay. Forgive them, don't take it personal, try to connect with their heart, let them connect with yours, and oftentimes in leadership, we say things at the right time, but the words don't come out right, or sometimes the words come out right, but we say it at the wrong time, and so there's a, there's a rhythm to everything that we do, but when you're in relationship with people, and they know your heart, and they know you mean well, and you're just pursuing God, and you're trying to get it right, Um, they'll give you more grace and they understand where you are, okay? And so, again, as leaders, make an advanced decision right now. As husbands, as fathers, as mothers, as wives, as sons and brothers, we've got to make an advanced decision right now. We're not going to judge other people, whether they kneel for the national anthem or they stand for the national anthem. Let's not judge them. Let's try to understand. Let's try to listen. Let's try to make sense of it. Let's let's love on people uh, the way we're commanded to do so.
1: That's great advice. And, and forgiveness is such a key aspect of being a Christian. Definitely uh, applies to Christian leadership as well. Um, Dayton, thank you so much. Uh, this was very insightful, uh, very helpful information. Um, audience, thank you for tuning in. And I want to remind you uh, that uh, on July 15th, we're going to have Uh, award-winning author Joel Rosenberg, and so uh, you'll be getting an email from Josiah, so register for that, and we will see you then. Um, Godspeed on the short season. Best of luck to you, and hope great things for the Royals.
0: Thanks a lot, Jeff. Thanks for everybody. God bless.
1: Thanks. Bye-bye.
0: From Passages, this is Josiah McGee. If you have a topic you would love to dive deeper into, email me at josiah@passagesisrael.org at for more information. Thanks for listening.